it is Tuesday, January 23, 2024 here, and uh, we are back, first time in a few weeks, and boy howdy, Anthony, has it been a busy few weeks since the last time we talked. Yeah, I think we spoke shortly after the new year, and then kind of all hell broke loose with the Cutter Goatsy stuff, and uh, the subsequent Jamie, Jamie Drysdale acquisition, they've dropped the last two, but overall have been playing... A, maintain their level of play pretty well they're still what second in the metro i believe so i mean uh this isn't a fluke this is kind of the part of the season where teams are who they are and not to say that the flyers are cup contenders but i mean it feels like they're gonna be in the race for the playoffs right to the end here flyers are still second in the metro 25 16 and 6 i believe they play tampa later tonight yeah, but the Metro overall still very close. Rangers lead with 60 points, and the Penguins, who are in seventh place, have 48. So that's, what, 12 points there between uh, best and uh, second worst. So a very close race. Hurricanes right behind them with 55. There's a bit of a gap there, 55 down to 51 from third place to, I think the Devils are technically on the outside looking right now. I think wildcard is all Atlantic at the moment. So, yeah, it's going to be a very, very tight race here through the back half of the season to see whether or not they can cling on to that playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, like we keep saying, or, you know, a lot of us out of Magic kept assuming that this team was going to fall off. And, you know, I was talking to a buddy yesterday, and this is a team that hasn't really made any major acquisitions, right? Like, what's the major acquisition they've made outside of Jamie Drysdale? And he's played, what, five games? Mark Stahl. Yeah, who's barely played, I mean, Hathaway. I mean, it's like they haven't really, I guess you could account kind of Sean Couturier as a major acquisition because he missed two seasons. But I mean, like, it's kind of like an indictment on, and it was, and look, I'm not discounting the impact that John Tortorella has had here, but if you really think about it, based on how they've just kind of added via subtraction, is it kind of goes back to what we were saying all those years where, like, it wasn't just the coach, you really had to overturn the players at some point? Yeah. I think they started to weed out the bad apples a couple of years ago with the Gosses Bear and Voracek and, and things like that and ran it back and it didn't work. And then Giroux leaves at the uh, 22 deadline. They get rid of Provorov and Hayes this summer who had their problems with the coach and, you know, in Provorov's case, just about everything. But, uh, yeah, you know, they they managed to clear out the cancer that was dragging them down, but now they got to figure out a way to, you know, get themselves beyond where they are right now. But, yes, this is absolutely a good starting point for them to build off of with Tortorella at the helm. And look, we, we know that they still lack talent. Like, outside of Travis Konechny, they probably still don't have a top line forward, although Joel Farabee has really been shot out of a cannon in the last month or so. And, you know, I, I think that everyone sees the gaping hole in their roster, and it is a top-line center. You know, I think if you just added a legitimate top-line center to this roster, maybe not even necessarily, like, a superstar like a Matthews, McDavid, or McKinnon, but even just, like, a Lindholm or a Rupe Hintz, just a legit 1C, what it would do to this team, how it would just bump everyone down a peg. And then you have Sean Couturier, the way he's playing, would be a very good 2C with Farabee and Konechny playing the way they are. If you added a legit 1C, that would probably elevate the, their games even more. And look, they still probably don't have a legitimate one, number one defenseman, but I think the Drysdale acquisition sure, certainly makes their outlook on the back end much better I mean, your top 3D now moving forward are Sanheim, Drysdale, and York, and expectation is Sean Walker is going to move on, and then you'll still have, you'll probably just bump Rosmus Ristolainen up a peg, and he's been good in a 4-5 role going back to last season. So 
it feels like the defense, obviously you're hoping that one of these guys emerges as a number one guy, but it feels like the overall outlook on the defense is presumably solved. And right now it's just about adding a top centerman and maybe one more top uh, six guy. But it really feels that like they're like one top line center away. And I'm not saying that that's easy to come by. It's arguably the toughest commodity to go out and get a top line center. But it feels like they're like that one top line center away from being a legitimate threat to maybe not contend for a cup, but actually be like go deep in the playoffs. And, you know, that kind of goes back to the Cutter Gauthier trade. We're not going to spend too much time in detail on that trade itself. I've ranted about it on a dozen shows. I'm sure you have as well. Um, but one of the fallouts of that trade is that Gauthier was supposed to be, you know, your mythical 1C coming in and your top forward. And he was going to solve the power play and fix all this and that. And, well, now he's not coming. So, you know, as much as they got a decent return in Drysdale, it helps the defense. It really, really just opens up an even bigger question on your forward group as, you know, what do they do now, now that this mythical Gauthier is not coming in to save them? Well, that that is a big question, right? And look, I think that Gauthier won't be a number one center in this league. You know, I've spoken to several people and even people outside the Flyers. The belief is, is that he's going to be a top line scoring winger. But probably still a guy that gets you 40 to 50 goals. Like, he's going to be a hell of a player. Guy with size. We saw he did at the World Juniors. Like, he, even as a winger, would have checked a lot of boxes for this team. But it is unfortunate that it played out the way it did. But if you can parlay, you know, a top-line left wing into a top-pairing right-shot D, assuming that Drysdale is that, who could help their power play, maybe positionally it is an upgrade. But to your point... You're kind of back at square one now that you don't have a center anywhere in your system that projects to be this to be what you need him to be. And they like I was speaking with some of the Flyers yesterday, and they're very well aware that throughout their organization, they do not have that. Like Morgan Frost has played very well the last couple of weeks, but is he a top line center? No, I think that even the way he's playing, he's more of a two C. Sean Couturier has done better than I think anyone could have expected after missing two years, but. I don't think he's a one seed. Like they like Denway is not that. Lazinski's not that. Cates isn't that. Like they don't have that. So they're gonna have to do some due diligence and go out and try and find that guy. And outside of the top ten this year in the NHL draft, it's not a strong year for Centerman whatsoever. And doesn't look like they're gonna be picking inside the top ten. So they're gonna have to get creative now. Now look, they have some a plethora of assets on the wing. Now maybe some guys on the back end are kind of expendable because of the addition of Drysdale. Now you're set with like on the left side of your D with the way Zamula is playing. Like you have Sanheim, York, and Zamula. Like does that make maybe Andre a trade chip or one of these guys? So that you you can get creative, but you're going to have to go out and target a 1C that's not only available, but a 1C that has the upside to be that 1C. said. It's, it's easier said than done, but that is clearly something that they're going to target, not just now, but beyond this season, because they're very w- well aware that that's what they're lacking. And it's a pretty piss-poor free agent group. It's a little too early in the year yet. We haven't seen a lot of, you know, RFA names or just general trades pop up. You know, you know Elias Pettersson is an RFA still. Trevor Zegers' name has popped up. Guys like, you know, Elias Lindholm, but he's, you know, 29. Do you really need another Sean Couturier on this roster? Like, your options are rather limited this summer right now as far as who's available to kind of fill that role. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to go out and, like, look at – players that are you know like try try and make a similar trade that you made with Anaheim but this time coming out with a top with a centerman that has that ceiling like 
you know, Anton Lundell's a name I've heard kicked around, but he's played a fairly significant role for the Panthers as their 3C. Are they going to move him in the midst of, you know, a season with cup aspirations? Cole, for, Cole Perfetti, maybe, with the Jets, but he's been playing wing for them, and that's another team with cup aspirations. Are they going to move that piece off their roster? Like, it's very tough to go out and try and pinpoint a one, a, a top, let alone a, a top six centerman, and try and prime out. I've heard of Josh Norris's name being out there, but with his injury history and the contract, is that a risk you want to take? And again, does he have the upside as a 1C? And then you're still kind of like beyond that, like your forwards are kind of are what they are. Like, yes, you have Michkov, but if he's still two years away from coming over to the NHL, like this is kind of what your forward group is, right? Like, okay, you have Tuomala, who's impressive. Obviously, Luxel got called up. He's going to play tonight. You have some guys that are going to come eventually, but like in a lot of ways, like all your best prospects are here already, save for, um, save for Matt Vemichkov. And I think that if you just had that legitimate one C, this team would look a whole lot better because their wingers have actually proved to be pretty good. Like Farabee, Konechny, Tippett, hopefully Forster gets there eventually. Like that's a de- decent crop of top, top six wingers moving forward. And if you could si- slide Sean Couturier down to the two C and maybe Morgan Frost is your three C or kind of like, you know, f- swip, uh, swapping with Couturier in a defensive offensive role, depending, you're not looking too bad at all. It's just right at the top of that lineup, right in the middle of that top line, you're missing that key piece. And until they solve that key piece, not just this year and beyond, it's hard to envision them as a sustainable cup contender. Yeah. I mean, your only pieces of substance, especially up front in Lehigh, were Lexel and Tuamala. I mean, Dane I don't know what the fuck's wrong with this guy, but he's nothing this year. Just a borderline worthless player. Um, so, you know, the only the only sender guy you had, who was probably a third liner at best, is now probably not even in the picture anytime soon. Um, you know, Bobby Brink's down there now. He's a winger. I I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, Mitch comes a couple years away. Do you just sit back and roll this team until then? <sighs> I sure hope not. You know, there's, there's building to do. And uh, no real easy answer to, you know, try and find top guys in the NHL outside of drafting them. And if they're going to make the playoffs this year and the Panthers are going to make the playoffs this year, well, then that's pretty much off the table as a legitimate option as well. So, I don't know. A very big question mark moving forward, though, eh, and especially with Gochi out of the picture, is what do you do in terms of high-end forward talent for the both short and long term? Well, for you, now that they've acquired Drysdale, like, do you think any of their defensemen – are expendable i guess it ultimately depends if they bring sealer and or walker back um you know walker's not coming back but sealer i think is a legitimate question <sighs> i mean if sealer's here and they're gonna keep zamula around i can't imagine andre's on the roster even though he probably should be to save this power play you can i mean adder's another one I don't know if he's got any real trade value at this point because they haven't used him in the NHL at all, even though he's fine. But, I mean, those two would be the players that should theoretically be making the jump next year. And I would imagine Andre's got quite a bit of trade value based on his success in the minors. Um, you know, Helga Granz is pretty much worthless. Samson hasn't done much. Jinning is fine, but I don't think he's got a super high ceiling at the NHL. Probably a decent third-pair guy. So, I mean, Adder and Andre are your guys. If you want to partner them with... You know, Tuamala or Brink or something and try and get a Zegers out of Anaheim, get a forward here. I don't know if Zegers is a tippy-top guy, but he's certainly better than a vast majority of the group you got right now. 
You know, I would imagine a team like Anaheim would have a lot of interest in someone like Andre if they would actually use him at the NHL level and, and get that success there if the Flyers don't. So we shall see, but, you know, you only got three or four prospects in the AHL that are really worth a shit right now. Yeah, no, I would uh, I would agree with that. Like, I mean, they, they do. I know they're also, I think the two guys are the highest on uh, aren't even with the Phantoms right now, and that's Bonk and Hunter McDonald. Hunter McDonald's the guy, I think they drafted him like in the fourth round in 2022. He's playing uh, in the NCAA, if I'm not mistaken. Big guy. He saw. I spoke to a pro scout yesterday on another team, and you know he projects to be like a good third pair PK guy. And obviously, Bonk is kind of like their crown jewel on the defensive side, and I think he's like three years away. So I think that one thing that they want to like keep to insulate guys like Drysdale, York, and Sanheim, they are like physical bigger guys because none of those guys are of that ilk. Like Sanheim's bigger, but we know he's not a physical guy. So I think that's why you may see Ristolainen stick around. I think that's why they're leaning towards keeping Sealer around because they don't want to just leave a back end that's just completely undersized and doesn't play that role. So I like that's why like even like an Andre, I'm just like, damn, like he comes up, he's he's like cut from the same cloth, right? Of York and Drysdale. Pretty much. Like, yeah. yeah. So for me, it's like th- this is just I haven't heard this. This is just me spitballing. Like it feels like eventually you're going to have to pick between York and Andre because I just don't see a world where you have both of them as well as Jamie Drysdale on your roster. Yeah, and it's kind of the thing with his defense if you're just looking at who's here. You know, Zmul is 23 and, you know, relatively inexperienced. York is 23, and, I mean, he's got more experience and more ice time, but still relatively young. Drysdale's still a work in progress. you got Ronnie Adder and Andre as well, who should be on the main roster next year. Like, that's a very young, very offensive-minded defensive group, most of which are on the smaller side, and we know that's not really Tortorella's M.O., so... You know, they're going to have to figure something out here to, to kind of even that out a little bit. But, you know, that brings the question back. Because if you bring Sealer, you're just going to roll a seven defenseman all the time and, and just <sighs> keep doing <laughs> that 11-7 system is, is bullshit. But, uh, I don't know. Got a lot of questions to answer on this blue line about how they want to build it for the future. Because three UFAs, you know, Adder's on a one-way deal next year. Andre should be in the NHL regardless of whether it's with the Flyers or somebody else, and they have to re-sign Zamula if they want to. So a lot of questions about how this could shape up next year, but size is definitely one that they need to uh, figure out a way to incorporate. Well, I, I think that, that, well, it's obviously not ideal, but I think that doing the seven defenseman has worked in a way, and I think Bradshaw deserves a lot of credit. Like, that guy's a wizard running that blue line. And I do think that, oddly enough, I feel like the 7D has helped Zamula the most. I don't know why, but, like, obviously he's gotten consistent power play time. He got two goals over the weekend, and they've maintained him in, like, that 12 to 14-minute mark. Like, it feels like it's brought out the best in him. And, like, even Ristolainen, who hasn't had a major role, but I think his best play comes out in, like, tighter checking games. I think a guy like Risto, like, I spoke to someone yesterday— if you're going to trade him now, teams want you to retain a million on him. And then you're not going to get a whole lot for him. So it begs the question, like, are you just going to move him out just to get him out and, like, have a retention spot tied up until 2027, especially on an undersized blue line that's not overly physical? Like, that's why, like, I think, like, for this blue line right now, like, I don't think Walker will be here beyond the trade deadline. And then I think you will see a standard 60 rotation. 
And I think your third pair is probably Sealer and uh, uh, Igor Zamula. And then Risto maybe goes up with Cam York, which he has had, who he has had success with in the past. But I mean, it's a pretty good problem to have. Like, look, Nick Sealer, like, I have respect for the guy. Obviously, he is kind of blocking some kids for sure. Uh, I have been pleasantly surprised with uh, Tortorella's ability to, you know, scratch veterans this year. Like, obviously, Delory and Stahl have been the odd men out recently. I don't even remember the last time Mark Stahl played, and he's the eighth guy on that depth chart. But I mean, like, I do understand that you don't want to completely remove that size and physicality aspect off of that blue line because all the other guys don't really bring that uh, style of play. Yeah, I just... (sighs) Why Nick Sealer is priority number one right now? If this team was a little closer to a playoff spot, you know, and it's assumingly why teams like Toronto have such interest in Sealer in the first place is... You know, these cheaper, slightly above average defensemen can be the difference between them winning or losing a cup. Whereas for the Flyers, they're not quite there yet. So in the meantime, he really is just blocking people. That's not a knock on Sealer. Sealer's been fine in this season, you know. But for this time in space with the Flyers where they are right now, focusing on him before someone like Andre, you're kind of putting the cart before the horse here and and stalling everybody in, in the process. So... I don't know, like, there's a time and a place for Sealer, which I feel like is something we say a lot with a lot of these players, Delorier yeah, sure. and Hathaway, and, you know, a lot of these random depth guys they brought in. Like, they're, they they can be effective in the right roles. There's a time and a place when building a roster for them. It's just kind of like, what are they doing here right now? Yeah, no, uh, that, that I do agree with for sure. I just, I think with Sealer specifically, it's the... I think it's the size thing, and I think it's the the um, just the physicality aspect. Like I think that's why Risto, you're going to see stay here as well. And obviously he has the contract. And do you want to retain on him? Right shot D. He's not like uh, he's not exactly apples to apples with Sealer, but I think that they fully believe that if you take these guys off that blue line, then what do you have back there? And I think some of the guys that they have in their system that would be ready up call ups don't check those boxes either. Like I think like. McDonald and Bonk are two guys that will come in and be in-house successors to the Sealers and the Ristos. But because, like, on any given night, like, who's going to log the most ice time on this team? Sanheim, York, and Drysdale, right? Yeah. And none of those guys really play that role. Like, Sanheim is at least on the larger side, and I think he's developed his game a bit more that of that this year, but he's not going to bruise guys. He's not a hard-to-play-against D. I think he's just gotten physically stronger and used his size to his advantage more. But I think they see the value in the Ristos and the Sealers of the world, mainly because their top three defensemen are guys who don't play that role in any form or fashion. What do you think Sealer is looking at as far as contract extension goes? In terms of what he's going to look for, or what do I think it's going to be? Both, I suppose. I mean, look, he has Pat Brisson, who's obviously a hard-hitting agent. I imagine he's they're going to try and get the Luke Shen contract. Three years, 2.75. Um, I don't think the Flyers have an appetite for that. I've spoken to executives with other teams who said that they wouldn't get that on the open market. In my opinion, I think it's probably going to come in around the $1.752 million mark. I think that's more speculation than anything, just because I'm splitting the difference. Because that the Luke Shen contract's on the higher side. I looked on the lower side. I saw Travis Hamnick at 1.1. So I think like in that $1.752 million range is kind of like a happy medium. 
I think that's where the Flyers would be comfortable with as well. Um, where it ultimately goes with term, like I don't think anything more than three years. Um, if that, like I think in an ideal world, like two years at, you know, 1.8 million is kind of like a happy medium with both sides. But I guess we'll ultimately see where it lands. But I, I do expect the Steelers side to push for that Luke Shen deal. But I don't think the Flyers have an appetite for that. So, like, for you, like, what would be, like, the max you'd be comfortable going? I mean, two by two is my prediction. I yeah. Think it's probably pretty spot on. If they give him a fucking three by three, I'm going to lose my shit. No, but, he won't uh, get a three by three. He won't get a three by three because I think because other teams don't value him as that. And I think that Luke Shen contract caps him. And Luke Shen, right shot D, more of a significant track record. So multiple Stanley Cups. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that that caps him. Like, I, I don't blame them for trying for that. Like, this is probably going to be the most significant contract of Nick Sealer's career, right? But, I mean, maybe they say we'll give you, I don't know, like three by 1.75 instead. But, yeah. Oh, two, my God. Like, what two, do we need him for three years for? He's already 30. Well, like, look, I don't think they want him for three years. I think that's I think that the player wants that term. Give him one year, even if it's slightly <laughs> at a max value, and then just reassess where you're at next season. I think two by two is like a happy medium. I think that's where like everyone would be more or less comfortable. Yeah, I guess I suppose. Like, look, I, I, look, I, I respect Nick Sealer for what he's done. I think he's been better than anyone that could have imagined. I really think the only reason why he would he may stick around here is because of the style he plays. And look, I it, it's unfortunate because you want a younger guy to check that box, but even Zambula, like Zambula doesn't play that rugged style either. So really, no. I, so like and like and he's six foot three, like he's a big dude, but you know, he's what, like hundred and eighty pounds soaking wet. So I mean it's I, I do understand that, right? Because you look at teams that have gone deep the last couple of years in the playoffs, like look at the monsters that Vegas had on that back end. Like there is some validity to that argument for sure. Sure. But... I love big defensemen. Me of all people. I'm a fan of big, tall defensemen and physical guys, but Nick Steeler, really? Well, what about right Risto? What, where are you at with Risto? Risto's fine. I, I think... I, they're trying to get the most out of him by using him in as limited a role as possible, which is probably the way to go, quite frankly. Um, but which was uh, like the plan when they acquired him. Yeah, <laughs> he was supposed to be playing behind Ryan Ellis at that point, but you know how that fucking story went. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, you're trying to get the most out of him by not overwhelming him, which is fine. You know, I, I he's playing that depth, mean physical role, which is what he's there to do. Um, I assume he's here. I can't imagine they'd move that contract um, easily right now, given the state of the cap. You know, nobody's going to want him at this cap dollar. So, I mean, he's fine. I really don't have, a, have thoughts on Risto one way or the other. I just assumed he, Sanheim, and York are the three that are kind of locked in now, and, and Drysdale as well. And then it's just going to be a rotating cast for the rest of the young guys that are trying to get in here. And then there's Nick Sealer, who's, you know, 30 and wants to punch people in the face. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Like, I mean, it it sucks that so many of these D are cut from the same cloth as kind of like the undersized, non-physical puck-moving guys. But, I mean, you still need those guys, right? Obviously, you like big, strong, and can move the puck. Like, that's the that's the best case scenario. You need scenario. somebody to learn how to quarterback a, uh, quarterback a power play is what they really need. Well, I guess that's where Drysdale theoretically Which slots is in. what Emil Andre should be doing, because that's why the Phantoms power play has been as successful as it is. 
Yeah, like, do you, have you liked what you've seen from Drysdale? Yeah, he's been fine, all things considered. I think his first two games were good, and then he's got sick, and I don't know if he's really been the same since. Um, but, yeah, he's working back from it. He's been fine, which, as expected, I guess, thus far. Um, you know, we'll see whether he can kind of round out into the optimum two-way, uh, two-way guy that they need here, uh, especially from the quarterback perspective because if they can get a right shot offensive guy in here sweet christ that'd be a huge plus for this team do you think that him and sandheim could be a sustainable top pair for the foreseeable future i I, it's possible i don't think it's ideal um you know and and this is goes back to the sealer thing as well where at this point you started to be trying to find a way to get Andre and Adder into the NHL and see what you have, or you should be focusing on trying to find a legitimate bona fide top lefty that can carry Drysdale for the next ten years and have a mm. bona fide top pair. I think that's one of the two focuses I would be at, and not necessarily Nick Sealer, but uh, it, I mean it, it seems to be holding thus far. But you know, Sanheim has been wildly inconsistent throughout his career. You know, can he keep this level of play up forever? Is this the is Sanheim Drysdale the ideal you know pair? Uh, probably not. You know, is York any better in that role? Probably not. But, uh, you know, finding a big stay-at-home kind of guy so Drysdale can play his game on the top pair would be uh, probably optimal if you want to squeeze the most out of that, you know, blue line as possible. Yeah, and I do think that the sealer market was significantly hurt by that Nikita Zadarov trade. I think that's another thing that, like, that trade set a really poor market for teams looking to unload UFADs. Like, even for a guy like Sean Walker, like, I think that Calgary and Philly are kind of looking at each other, like, okay, what are you going to move him for? Because they're, like, the top two pending uh, UFA right shot Ds. And I think maybe the Flyers are at a point with Sealer where they're just like, okay, Zadorov went for a third and a fifth or whatever it was. Is he going to go for a fourth? At that point, should we just keep him? But then there's also the the justifiable thing with you that you said, why re-sign him? Like, do you would you be in favor of let's say if they kept Nick Sealer, but then let him walk for nothing, like kind of like an own rental thing just for the playoffs? I'd be fine not moving Sealer. I think Walker's the one you have to move to get yeah. something out of Sealer. Take it or leave it. I, I don't know. If, you know, could you squeeze a second round pick out of him? Could you squeeze a third round pick out of him? I have no idea. Um, it seems feasible because you know rules of logic kind of go out the window at the trade deadline but if that's not the case and you're stuck at a fourth i mean may as well just keep them right out the season and then let them go in summer uh, and at least make your decision in the off season you know no need to offer a contract right now here in, in january or february or anything like that but you know see what the market is and if it's just not there then punt that ball down the road till the off season and figure it out then yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Like, I think Walker, you have to move just because I think he'll get you something relatively significant. And with Drysdale, like his acquisition has kind of made them a, like him a bit expendable. It sucks because he's had a hell of a year. Um, but I I just think that you have to move on from him. You can't and I think, keep Bristolainen and Walker. Yeah, and like you could probably say that Walker's the better of the two in a vacuum, but for like what you need on that blue line, maybe you need more of what Ristolainen brings. And just the contract. Walker's, you know, UFA status is going to be a lot more appealing than three years of Ristolainen at 5.1, especially at the deadline. Yeah, and if you're going to keep Walker, I imagine he's looking at Ristolainen and saying, well, I want his contract. Probably, yeah. 
And Ristolainen is signed until he's, what, 32, 33? Something like that. And Walker's going to be starting his deal when he's 30. Yep. So, like, you might as well just stick with a Ristolainen, right? Pretty much. And and like you said, like, you're going to get less for Ristolainen and probably have to retain just to kind of get out from the contract. And the thing about Ristolainen is, like, yes, in a vacuum, is he overpaid? Probably by, like, a million, a million and a half. But when the cap goes up, by year four of this deal, it's going to be a perfectly reasonable deal. And the other part about this is, is like, these are always defensive that teams are looking for. Like, you're always looking for D with size. They just try and not pay too much for them. Like, we just spoke about Nick Sealer. Like, teams like Toronto are trying to get a Nick Sealer because of the style they bring. It's just that when you try and go out and pay for them on the open market, you obviously... You, at times overpay like Sherrod in Detroit and Gabranson in Columbus or whoever it happens all the time Luke Schengen a three-year contract 2.75 with the, with the Predators at 33 years old like it just seems like it's a common theme with defensemen who play this style that they always are coveted but then always get a bit too much money because of how coveted they are there's always going to be a GM that'll want Ristolainen yeah exactly Always be and, at least one that loves their big, mean, physical guys, especially if they're right shot defensemen. And is it a bad thing? Probably, like, yeah, I'm sure it's a bit of overvalued, like them overvaluing these years a bit. But then you watch at, let's say, what um, what what Vegas did last year, and it stands to reason that you do need those big guys. Now, obviously, you rather get Theodores and Pietrangelos and McNabs, who are like big and mean and physical and also play like top three top four roles but those are harder to come by obviously we know that so you're going to settle for guys who could play as a four or five like ristolainen does like let's say a Sherratt does like like kind of like he wasn't physical but like justin braun did like that kind of tier but i mean it, like i because if you move on from ristolainen you're going to be looking for a similar d eventually and are you just gonna are you gonna tread water for three years until bonk gets here are you going to go out on the open market and overpay for Ilya Labushkin or whatever? Like at this point, maybe it's just better to keep him than retain a million on his salary and move him out for like a third round draft pick. Yeah. You know, going through the circus to move versus to line in just to resign Sean Walker and something like that doesn't make a ton of sense right now. Yeah. And you're probably going to give Walker what four or five years at $5 million. Probably. And then he's more of a puck mover type that jumps up in a rush. And yes, in a vacuum, I think it'd be fair to say that Walker is the superior defenseman. But like for what this team needs right now, do you, would you rather a Ristolainen? I suppose. Like there's a case to be made on both sides. Yeah. For sure. But let's say you you move on from Ristolainen and, you know, you only have Nick Sealer. And in your top four, you have Walker, York, Sanheim, Drysdale. Like, you are kind of missing a size and physicality aspect to your blue line. Yeah, they would need to address that some other way without Risto. And, you know, I don't think Sealer can even step into Risto's shoes right now. So they would need to figure it out somehow, um, which they could do. I mean, you do have, uh, you know, options they could look at out there to try and spice things up and find somebody a little more overall useful. Why don't you find somebody that can bring what Walker can with the size Aristo can. It's not going to be easy, but if you can find, especially somebody younger. Yeah. Who fits your timeline a bit better. Some, you know, I don't know where you're going to find a 24 year old dynamic two way defenseman, especially a right shot guy. Eh, they don't exactly pop up on the market every day, but uh, if there's somebody out there again, once we get a little closer to the deadline in the off season, the names will start bubbling up as far as rumors go. But 
you know, if that was option out there as palpable, I guess you could do that as well. You know, add somebody a little bit younger, a little bit more uh, ready to be here for the long term that fits the timeline with the rest of the team better. Like I guess that'd probably be ideal, but in this market right now where they're stuck with, you got to deal Walker at the deadline and get whatever you can from him and then just deal with Ristolainen and hopefully when the cap starts going up and Risto can just continue the pace that he's at and he should be a more palatable deal in a few years if you have to get rid of him and hopefully walk away in a you know positive trade situation here. We're not retaining money or having to you know take a cut in the acquisition fee to do it. But one way or another, like this defense is just a very uh, – <laughs> a lot of moving chairs yet. Not a whole lot is set in stone. Yeah, like they have good pieces. I think it's all about just kind of making it work, who's going to be here in the long term and whatnot. Um, but before we do uh, wrap it up, I want to touch on the Owen Tippett stuff. Uh, obviously, I had a piece drop earlier today about how they're going to start getting serious about extending him. I think that AAV is probably going to come into the $6 million range. What have you thought of Owen Tippett, and are you comfortable re-signing him on a longer-term deal around $6 million? Tippett is fine. I just... The problem is you're starting to add up a lot of these rando middle six wingers. And random's not even necessarily fair, but Farabee and Konechny and Tippett and all these guys that have been paid five, six million dollars to be middle six wingers. And sooner or later, you're going to have to start making some decisions here. And Tippett is fine. I think he's got a higher ceiling than probably even what we've seen. He did 27 goals and 49 points last year. He's 18 goals, 30 points, and 46 games this season. has been on a friggin' heater over the last few weeks. Um, so, I mean, he's fine. I don't have anything against him at the moment. But uh, on the whole here, you know, that's another decent contract to a uh, middle six forward. Which, you know, is that... Uh, <laughs> It's just weird, you know, Farabee's playing better, and Konechny's obviously at the peak of his career now. He's pulled his head out of his ass the last couple of seasons and is playing well. And it's not a bad problem, but it is a problem that you're kind of hoarding a lot of these guys when you still need that high-end talent to truly be successful. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, if you lock in Tippett, then you have him, Farabee, and Konechny, assuming you re-sign Konechny. I mean, I don't see a world where Atkinson's here next year. I mean, that's just my, my guess at this. Obviously, Forrester has kind of tailed off, but he's under um, his ELC until the following next year. Like, I mean, I don't hate it because I think that Tippett is worth that. I think he's a guy that's going to get you 25 to 30 goals and 50 to 60 points year over year. And with the cap, you know, going over $90 million by 2025, I think that it will be a more than fair contract. Even fair would be like in a vacuum, $5 million for what he's doing now. Obviously, we don't know what a Konechny extension would look like. But I think that you do have a point that it is just kind of adding up a bit, especially before you have the tire end of your lineup locked up. I get it. I understand why they want to keep him. I do think he's another type of guy that um, he, you know, he, he, he is maybe not big. He's a bigger player. He uses his size, you know, bulkier guy, protects the puck well. I think he's excelled playing the left wing as well. 6-1-2-10. Yeah, so, I mean, like, he's not massive, but he's on the bigger side. Um, I think he's become a versatile guy, being able to play both sides. Uh, I don't hate the contract if it does come in that, let's say, 6 by 6 a general range. But um, I just, I do understand your point that, like, you, it would be a lot easier to get excited about if you already had other guys locked up yeah uh, he's fine i don't have a problem with Tippett. 
in a bubble. I don't have a problem with a six by six contract in a bubble. That's just what the going rate for players like this is these days. But uh, when you look at it on the team level here, it's a lot of people under contract that are all playing essentially the exact same role when you have a very wing heavy system and Cam Atkinson is still here. I mean, they're going to have to deal with that one way or another, whether it's buyout or, or whatever it ends up being. I know. Just a lot of bodies and a lot of money that are all just kind of in the middle there. Got to figure it out somehow. Spread the wealth a little bit. Yeah. Like, I mean, like you look at like the Atkinson and the Lawton deals, and those are the ones that kind of like, I don't know. Like, those are the ones that kind of not bother me, but like strike me the most as like, yeah. Is that really where you want that money tied up? Yeah, I don't know. You think if they bring Tippett back and keep Farabee, does that affect Konechny's future with his UFA status in next summer? I'm not sure because I think Farabee and Tippett are probably viewed as like your top two left wings while Konechny's a right wing. Um, I, I think that Goatsy moving kind of opened the door more to lock up those three guys as saying like, okay, these are top three wingers on our team. And then Katori is your 2C, and then you have an opening as at your top-line center and your second-line right wing. Now, I think eventually Forster kind of just evolves into, like, that uh, second-line right wing. Obviously, he's had a tougher time of late. Bobby Brink just got sent down to the Phantoms. But I just think that all in all, like, if you commit to those three as your top three wingers, I think you're more or less comfortable with that. Like, none are superstars, but I think that you could do a lot worse. You can do worse. They can hold down the fort until Forrester gets his footing or Bring shows up or Ollie Lexell finally starts dominating the NHL when they give him an opportunity. The new era of Ole is upon us. Ready to show up, theoretically. Do they actually give Ollie Lexell a chance this time? Well, he's going to play and it's 11 forwards, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so he's going to get play five time. minutes like Delorey has been doing in that role. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope they do. I mean, he's a left wing. Like, obviously, it's weird to get a full grasp on what the lines are when it's 11 forwards. But, I mean, I, I don't see why there's a reason not to give him a good kick at the can here. I mean, they haven't like, done it for the past two years now. <laughs> he's clearly someone that they keep going back to, right? They keep like, going back to, and then when he gets to the NHL, they don't give him an opportunity. He played uh, six maybe... shifts against the Coyotes and spent two and a half weeks in the press box. Really? Six shifts? Wow. Well... I mean, look, I... It happened last I, year, too. He got called up for weeks at a time and never played any games. He had eight games last year, and he was up for, like, I don't know, a month in total? Yeah, well, I hope he plays more than that. Like, I mean... How do you, you have a you, guy that succeeds at the AHL, that's scoring goals, especially on the power play, by the way, 73 points in 86 career AHL games, 28 points in 33 games this year, 16 goals, eight of which came on the power play. He and Emil Andre have been a big reason for this discuss down there. And then he got called up uh, in December, played one game against the Coyotes, all of six shifts, and didn't play again. Now he's back up on an 11 forward system on a team where Nick Delorier is regularly playing, you know, five minutes a night. Ryan Paling's only scratching about nine on that fourth line, quote-unquote, the two guys that are down there. So if Lexel becomes one of those guys, I don't know. Why not give him an opportunity? Oh, I hate this. I hate these prospects. Give him opportunities, goddammit. You're rebuilding. Yeah, might as well. I mean, honestly, might as well. I, I do think that you'll probably see Lexel more if and when Walker is traded. I think it's more when. So six but, weeks from now. Yeah, no, for sure. But, I mean, I, I think that you've kind of seen Delorier become, like, that consistent 13th forward, which sucks. 
sucks. You know, I, I have an appetite for Nick Deloy, but there's no there's no denying that other forwards have passed him this year. I don't know. I'm just <sighs> give Ollie Luxell a shot. God damn it. Number one fan. Yeah, mine as well. Like, what, what, what is there to lose, right? Well, they're fighting for a playoff oh. spot, Anthony. They can't lose games. They can't risk <laughs> Ollie Lexell having a turnover and then sitting him for six weeks before the trade deadline. Did you see that uh, the letter to um, season ticket holders yeah, by Hilferty Jones? Not going to raise the prices. Woohoo. Do you think it's indicative at all that this year it came from those three and last year it was Tortorella? That's what everyone is uh, making it out to be on social media. And I don't know if there's any differences to it. But I don't know. I, they're probably, I mean, they're still trying to grow interest in the product, right? And you're still trying to be friendly and, and put on your best pandering face here and make it happen. And best way to sell tickets with a slightly improved product they have this year is to keep prices the same and not jack everything up right away after the slightest bit of success. So that's ultimately why they're doing it. You know, I don't care who signed the letter, uh, but you know, it doesn't mean anything different this time. I suppose, I guess it ultimately depends if they make the additions and actually try and put on a competitive product next year, whether they just keep falling into this middle ground of success they're in right now. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. Well, I mean, it's going to be an interesting few weeks for sure. Like, we're kind of in the dog days of the season, but it's going to be interesting uh, as we get close to the trade deadline, what they end up doing to um, what they end up doing if they add or they sell off some guys. Like, obviously, there's that video of Tortorella, but they're going to be one of the more interesting teams to track, that's for sure. That was a fascinating video with Tortorella when he's talking about not getting attached. Because if there's one person I'm worried about getting attached to these players, it's John Tortorella! <laughs> yeah, it is. We can't trade Nick Sailor. I like him too much. We can't trade Sean Walker. I like him too much. That's the my fucking fear. I'm not worried about Danny Breer getting attached to the players. I mean, I guess I am, but not nearly as much as Tortorella. I guess it's a calming presence when he says stuff like that, because I actually kind of believe Tortorella when he talks. But uh, that was a weird one. It gave me a little bit of hope coming from him that, that you know, maybe they may actually sell at the deadline with, with some level of legitimacy maybe somebody like sealer does go you know and they actually try and overhaul this defense a little bit and cash out on their assets that they can move you know whether that means they go into the playoffs slightly limited or they have to roll andre and addard in the postseason and you know things like that i mean that's probably going to be the biggest telltale what to expect going into the summer is what the deadline ultimately looks like who stays and who goes and whether they pull the trigger on some of these depth pieces or not if they're still here you got to assume that they're going to be here in the long term. They're going to resign them. I don't think they're going to keep Risto or Sealer or Walker for them not to be here forevermore. You know, so we shall see, I suppose. But yeah, we we got what six weeks? Yeah, six seven weeks until the trade deadline. One, two, three, four, five, six weeks from Friday is the deadline. Wow. Well, I mean, it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting few weeks, like just because of how well they're playing and some of the pieces they have that they could sell off. Even if you like either way, I think it's going to be polarizing, whether you like it or hate what they do. I think it's going to be polarizing one way or another. That is undoubtedly true. <laughs> well, when we talk in a few weeks, I imagine we'll have even more stuff to talk about. Yeah, theoretically here, once we get a little closer, some of these names should start eh, popping up at the dining with the regularity. Flyers play tonight against Tampa, rolling 
11 forwards and 7 defensemen again. One of them supposedly being Ollie Lexell. So we'll see if he gets more than 3 minutes a night. Uh, Detroit on Thursday, Boston on Saturday. Then the All-Star break is here. They get uh, 9 days off, 10 days off. And pick back up against the uh, Florida Panthers on the 6th. So... Yeah, and Brink goes down to the Phantoms. They play five times in the next uh, eight days here. So they'll get uh, plenty of ice time down there. I don't know if it's a good idea or not. Phantoms haven't exactly been good lately. But, <laughs> uh, you know, that's plenty of ice time, especially with Lexal going up. That should open up a top top line spot for him there. And so we shall see if he can figure it out. I wonder, I don't know. What are they looking for out of Brink down there? They just want him to get confidence and score goals, or is this going to be a long-term development thing and we never see him again at the NHL? It's a good question. Like, just from my own eyes, what I would say is, like, I think Bobby Brink maybe just has to find a niche. Like, it just, I felt like at times, like, you didn't really know what role he should be playing. And I do think, and, you know, this is maybe more of an indictment on Tortorella, but I do think that having both him and Atkinson was somewhat redundant. Um, I just, I don't know, like I would see him in the lineup more towards the end and I'd be like, man, like, why is he in the lineup? Like what, what role is he supposed to be playing right now? So I think it's more, mostly about like, you could speak to more than me. Like, would you expect him to go down and be like the most talented forward on that team? I would assume so. I mean, Sam Tamal has been pretty goddamn good, but uh, with Lexal out of the picture, Bobby Brink should be by far your front runner, a best forward there. He and Sam Tamal on the top line, centered by Tanner Lozinski. Yeah. So I mean, look, uh, that's what I'm expecting out of Brink. Um, I, I would, you know, he's an undersized guy too. Uh, he's only what uh, 21, 22 years old. 22. So it, it's it's not going to hurt him to go down there and maybe gain some confidence and uh, be come back up. Like I think that next year he will have a solidified place on this team. But they gave him a good runway, right? Like more than half the season he was with the team. It's it happens sometimes where even especially these undersized guys kind of run out of gas. And uh, look, last year was his first full season with the Phantoms, but he missed time last year too, didn't he? He missed half the year. He came back in January after off season hip surgery. Exactly. So the most t- games he's ever played in a season is 41. And I think he played 38 with the Flyers. And, you know, we're well past that mark. So he's maybe he's just hitting a wall. Like, it's a grind to play a full 82-game season at the pro level, especially the NHL. So I'm not too worried about it. I think uh, just finding who he is, finding his niche in the lineup, and just getting accustomed to the long stretch of uh, pro hockey and how long that season could be. Or like every other prospect that's been sent down, it's a one-way trip. We never see him again. Also true. Also very possible. <laughs> <laughs> you never really know with this with this team. Yeah, I guess you just have to hope that uh, that's not the case. Yeah. Man, you know, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Only time will tell. That's just play Ali sure. God damn it! That's all I want. I do think that they will play him. Well, yeah. they're playing him tonight, so that's a good start. He will be dressed. Whether or not they play him is a different story. <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> alright everyone I guess we'll uh, call it a day here the show with Dylan last night and yeah, I'll be back with Pop on Thursday for Oregon Flyer on Sunday uh, Mike and Manny so you can check that out plenty ship on the website by Puck.com at DanTheFlyerFan at BrotherlyPuck at Brotherly underscore pod DanTheFlyerFan underscore jerseys over on Instagram if you want to check that out and Anthony where can people find you on Twitter you can find me at AdamMarco25 alright everyone until next time goodbye and good night.